Hello, and welcome to PathPod. Today, we're doing our segment called Beyond the Scope, where we talk to pathologists about their pursuits and interests outside of pathology. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. You can follow me on Twitter at S-A-R-A underscore J-I-A-N-G. We are very lucky today to have Dr. Eva Wojcik on the show. Dr. Wojcik is the Chair of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine at Loyola University in Chicago, a world-renowned cytopathologist, past president of the American Society of Cytopathology, founding chair of the Paris System for Reporting Urinary Cytopathology, founding associate editor of the Journal of the American Society of Cytopathology. I could go on and on to list all her accomplishments, but it would take the rest of this podcast. Um, And you can follow Dr. Wojcik on Twitter at Eva, E-V-A underscore W-O-J-C-I-K. Welcome, Dr. Wojcik. Oh, hello, Sarah. Well, first of all, I consider myself lucky that you want to talk to me. Oh, I'm so excited to hear all about your life and how you got into pathology. And I know our listeners are really excited to hear from you as well. So I'm really, really looking forward to to hearing about you and also a little bit more about what you do when you're not revolutionizing how we report cytopathology. Well, so let me start. Of course, you know, by now everybody knows that I have funny accent. Uh, I was born in Poland. I grew up in Poland. I went to medical school in Poland. And as a matter of fact, when I came here, I didn't speak any English at all. At school, I was learning uh, Russian and French, and I thought that I could speak French until I went to France. So I kind of learned from TV and from studying medical school, medical books, and, and that's how I learned my, my English. I started my residency in Cleveland at Metro Health, which it's a great, great program, but I moved to Wayne State University because I really wanted to finish the university-based program. And I did my fellowship at MD Anderson in cytology. As a matter of fact, I did this as my fifth year. So my whole training altogether was only about four and a half years because in six months of my fellowship, I was offered a faculty position already there. So I stayed as a faculty at MD Anderson for about a couple of years. And after that, I decided to get married. And that time my husband was working in the Middle East. So I left one of the best institutions in the whole world, and I moved to Middle East. Wow. Uh, and that's where my sons, two sons, were born. And how many people in the all together can say that I was the only cytopathologist in the entire country? Wow. Which country was this? Very small. <laughs> Relatively small, it, you know, because it's a great country, Bahrain. Oh. Uh, but... You know, when somebody asked me how big is Bahrain, I said, I did do tell the story about my son. My son had a horrible, horrible colic, and that was really bad. And one night, I didn't know what to do anymore, so I put him in my car, and I started driving, (laughs) kind of in the middle of the night. Yeah, Yeah. And... Let's put this way. I circled the entire country twice. <laughs> so, so that's how big is Bahrain. Well, there was, you know, those days there was not too many roads altogether, and half of the half of the island is anyway desert, and it's really so. So wow. it's not that big. That must have been a really big change to go from a place like MD Anderson, where there's lots of, you're, you're definitely not the only pathologist there, to a place where you're the only, only pathologist. What was that transition like? 
challenging. Well, you know, when I, let's, uh, let's put this way. At some point, I was the only cytopathologist. But when I started, there was another cytopathologist there, and very famous cytopath- Indian cytopathologist, Dr. Ashvanshi, who recently invited me to India, as a matter of fact. Wow. Uh, so we kind of were together, so it was much easier. But that's true. The transition was quite quite some transition from MD Anderson. Those days, you could get EM in 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all the immuno, although it was quite some time ago, but all the immunohistochemistry, molecular even, etc., to the place where you have to do practically everything yourself, and everything was on Ginza, mm. not even PAPS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's interesting, but but that was that was good. Uh, I was having there's quite a few interesting cases. I was even able to publish a couple of cases. You know, like I had a schwannoma in the thyroid. Oh. And, you know, cat scratch disease, maybe it's not a, that significant, but it's one of the best examples. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely a different population, right, that you yeah. see there. So kind of going back, did you, did you always want to be a physician, a pathologist when you were growing up? No, I think now I was thinking about this when I was a really small, like a child, I thought that the best the best thing would be to be a flight attendant. Oh. Can you imagine you go all over the world. I always wanted to see the world. Yeah, <laughs> I was, yeah. I thought that was the coolest job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and some uh, eventually I end up in, in the medical school, which back in Poland was not like any other country, obviously. To get to medical school, it's not that easy. I never thought about pathology. When I came here, so pathology was kind of complete coincidence. I didn't have a clue about pathology back in uh, my medical school. It was just the only thing, my recollection about the whole course, it was some autopsies and that's it. <laughs> and, uh, and here it's just, as I said, complete coincidence. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was interviewing at MD Anderson, one of the very, very famous hematopathologists asked me this classic question, why pathology? So I look at him, instead of telling all these stories that since I was born, I wanted to be a pathologist, or when my grandmother was dying on cancer, I, you know, whatever you start reading all those personal statements mm-hmm. from Google, yeah. Uh, and so I said it was complete coincidence and he looked at me and said oh it's so funny me too (laughs) and I said well so why how come you are pathologist and he said well you know that I think the after the Korean war when they were in the army and medical school that you know that their supervisor was going okay you're going to be the surgeon you're going to be pediatrician and you're going to be pathologist he said that's how I became a pathologist he was very very famous pathologist and in my case, it was exactly, I came to this country, didn't speak any English, tried to learn, tried to get some contact, somebody knew somebody in the lab. I was able to get some observership in the pathology department, and I just said, wow, this is cool. This is what I could do. And as a matter of fact, I consider this the best coincidence in my life. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, I, could, I wouldn't change this for, for anything else. 
Yeah, and if you think about, you know, what you wanted to do when you were a kid and being a flight attendant and seeing the world, you've really gotten to see the world, giving talks and lecturing all over the, the world as a psychopathologist, right? Right. Right, you know, although it's not that easy. Yeah, yeah. To be standing course. in the room and talking to people, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Completely against my nature, believe it or not. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's definitely for me to, to talk to people and whatever. It's always the, one of the most stressful. But this is what I consider a job description. And that's what you have to do. As a matter of fact, I have all those little stickers on, on my wall, some kind of cool saying. And one of the one which I try to re- always remember that we have to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Sure. So this is this is what I'm trying to learn, <laughs> being comfortable, even right now talking to you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you know, you could have fooled me because I've seen you give a lot of talks and you always seem like a natural. So I think that's important though, is that being uncomfortable is so often a chance to grow. And I know right now with, with the pandemic, we're all very uncomfortable in different ways. But but I think personally, it's it's an opportunity for us to you know, kind of grow some of the the things that we otherwise wouldn't have done, like this podcast. So I think if it weren't for the pandemic, you know, we wouldn't have started the podcast to try to connect with people. You know, you you brought this whole pandemic right now. I mean, we all of us going through really, really very, very difficult times on each and every level. But at the same time, I always, I don't know if this is a sign that I'm an optimist, I always see positive signs on everything, whatever happened to you in life in general. And there is exactly, even in this pandemic, there is so many positive things. This podcast, all this social media, all this teaching and learning and and webinar and, and connecting with the entire world. And we just realized we can talk to each other and there is no problem and really for us now when I'm talking about us as a profession that was such an opportunity to shine you know and again I'm talking about right now Loyola and our lab overnight we became truly a hero for the entire medical center we brought testing in house on March 19th We are right now over, I think, over 40,000 cases, PCR cases in-house. And, you know, because of us, us meaning our lab, etc., we were able to open the elective surgeries, procedures, and everything else. All the patients are being tested. People feel safe to come to to our institution right now. And, and again, all because of us. And I could not believe it how much recognition it brought to the lab right now. And uh, as a matter of fact, I truly believe because of this, we were kind of in the middle of the project of moving our labs into different new location and creating a regional lab. The, at the moment the pandemic started, of course, all the capital was frozen, etc. But because we truly proved that we can do the good job. All this right now was released and we are starting with the project. So this is, if we wouldn't be able to handle this testing the way how we did it, I'm sure that wouldn't happen. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's a testament to your amazing team and then also to your leadership, right? So, well, it takes a village. It yeah. takes a village. It's, you know, no one can take a full responsibility for anything. I'm taking responsibility for everything, but I cannot take a credit for it. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about your leadership. Like I mentioned, you've had a number of leadership roles um, at the national level, international level, and at your institution as chair. You know, what are some pearls that, that you've gained over all these experiences? Well, I have been a chair for, gosh, over 13 years by now. Wow. Uh, never really asked inspired to be a chair you know i you know i was like somehow it almost happened <laughs> lucky for them <laughs> it's really i would never you know apply for chairmanship position anywhere else but it was opening in in our institution and said okay why not and there we are after so many years but it's it's a very challenging job that's for sure but in the same time, very rewarding, you know, to see the department being successful, to see faculty being successful. This is, this is really the greatest thing what could happen really to anyone. And of course, you know, thinking about what is the role of a chair, you know, I consider myself, I always tell the story kind of like, I, if somebody asks me what, what do I do as a chair, I say that I'm a camel bringer and they was what you know so now you know that i for a couple of years i used to live in the middle east that's why i'm saying bringing camels to the water instead of bringing horses to the water and so my job is for in regards of faculty development to bring them to the water to show them the opportunity to give them an opportunity and hopefully at this moment hope they're going to drink. <laughs> and it's amazing to see some of them, you know, they see that just somewhere in the horizon, the little bit of water and they run. They run and they, you know, take a bath. They, they, <laughs> they, they take the opportunity to the complete fullness. On the other hand, there are some, you bring them, you give them the water up to their mouth and nothing happens. So now I kind of, learn that everybody is different everybody has a different priorities different time in their life and development etc so at this moment as i'm very satisfied that i bring them to the water and it's up to them to drink it or not so that also i recently read the latest blog of lydia howell who is amazing chair at uc davis and kind of describing how she understands what is the role of a chair. And it's really how she said that like a bridge between outside world and the department. The, the chair's job is really to represent the, the department. And that's, that's about the leadership altogether. Higher you go, more people you have to represent. When I was director of cytopathology, my job was to represent the section. My job was to make sure that everybody in that section, cytotechnologists, cytopathologists are successful. When I was director of the residency program, my job was to make sure that all the residents 
are doing well, they got good fellowships and they're getting really good education and don't you dare to say anything wrong about my residents. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's right the same with the fellowship and right now with the entire department. I just the way how I look at it, I do represent the entire department. Not only the faculty, of course the residents and fellows but the, all the techs, etc., because I'm also the medical director of the entire lab. So that's it. It's the most important to have a good team, to build a good team. And we are very fortunate at Loyola that we have really great people here. I think you've put it so well that the important roles that you play as a leader are to advocate and mentor. I, I think that's really, really important because as a leader, you're really serving your team, you're serving your patients, and I, I love that that really is, is kind of the essence of what I've just heard from you. You know, the mentorship, you know, mentorship and sponsorship, they're kind of two different things, of course, and that's, again, my role as well. Of course, we have a good official mentorship programs, but besides that, I'm making sure that I, in very close contact and I know what's happening in everybody, especially junior faculty, how they are progressing. So I have regular meeting every couple of months with all the junior people. And it's really kind of like, you know, old fashioned little notes, little folders, you know, okay, you told me that you're going to submit an abstract two months ago. Did you? Mm -hmm. If not, how can I help you? What, what is needed, you know, do you need more money, do you need more time or something like that. It, let's see if we can help you in, the, in any way possible. And it's really one of the main conversation I, I have spent with all the faculty and I kind of tell them that you have to be, I don't want to even use this word, but really selfish. At some point you really have to think about yourself. It's so easy to get distracted. Our life is extremely busy. We are all human beings. We don't need too many excuses. No, when you are supposed to work on your presentation, suddenly you look at around and say, oh, this room, it needs to be clean. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever other. So no, the room doesn't have to be clean. You have to work on your presentation. But exactly, there is always service. There is always cases coming, etc. Somehow you have to manage time for yourself, time for your development, because time flies. So we have those regular kind of evaluation of the faculty. Are they on the right trajectory for the promotion? And, and as a matter of fact, you know, I'm very proudly say that we have, as during my tenure as a chair, we have a perfect record uh, whoever was put for promotion got a promotion and we are a relatively small department right now we are about 25 faculty and usually it's from 30 to that number so in this last 13 years as a chair I had 32 faculty who went for promotion etc wow. So. wow wow that's a lot of work on the front end to make sure that things go smoothly Yes, but again, it's a system and it's a team effort. It's not only me, it's a committee to make sure that everything is on track and everybody is doing well. And including my assistant, Sandy, who I 
wouldn't be able to to <laughs> function without her. It's good to have the right team. Team is the you know that's the answer for all all the problems. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about the first time that I met you was. I think about seven years ago, we both did the CAP's Engaged Leadership Academy, and I remember you told me, you know, you, one of the things that we did was we went in front of the room and we talked about a project we were really passionate about. I remember your project was, I think these were your exact words, I'm going to make you love urine cytology, and <laughs> I remember thinking, ah, uh, okay, what does that mean? Um, but since then, you know, you've really spearheaded uh, the Paris system, which is now in its second. You're working on the second edition. So tell me a little bit about that project. First of all, do you love urine cytology? I love it so much more now. <laughs> love, okay. I, I like it. I like it a lot more. <laughs> okay. There is not many people who love urine cytology, and it wasn't my choice uh, to love. I would never think that I'm gonna be the one who is gonna say this. And it's just, I guess, like everything in life, you know, you got lemons, you make <laughs> lemonade, and I think Paris is the best lemonade after all. <laughs> I, you know, when we were talking a little bit about the life story altogether, so I went to Middle East and I almost thought that almost going to stay there, but the, the final decision was because there was political unrest and up to the point that was almost dangerous to stay there. So I had to find a job right away, immediately. And at that time I found a job and it was a urology commercial lab. So I see that part of the pathology practice. I do understand that pathology practice. I do understand that you have to be very efficient. You have to be very accurate and turnaround time extremely important. And it was lots of urines. So there you are. And the other thing, everybody hates urine. So that's a perfect (laughs) opportunity to... To have an area which you can kind of stand up and, you know, do something about this. You have to find the niche. You have to find something that everybody hates. <laughs> and by default, you're going to become an expert. Yeah. So, and of course, you know, urine, everybody hated because the, the way how we look at the urines and we try to do something which is from the beginning impossible, meaning make the diagnosis of low-grade urethral carcinoma. And that's how the Paris started, more or less. It's everything really, truly coincidence. I was one of the moderators for one of the sessions looking for speakers, and Dottie Rosenthal became one of the speakers, and Eric Piaton from France, kind of coincidence. At the same time, both of those groups were working on urine and kind of trying to figure it out reporting system. They start talking together. I said, okay, let's get together. And there we are, you know, working with Dottie Rosenthal. It's the best experience ever. I'm so happy that I convinced her on the project. I think every, hopefully everybody knows that we start already working on the second edition. I hope everyone received emails and seen on Twitter uh, announcement about the survey. Please, please, please take a survey. Tell us what's wrong with the Paris system right now, because I'm going to be the very first one to say nothing is perfect. We recognize ourselves that there are areas which needs improvement, 
and we need we need we need your voice and tell us how you would like to to improve what to include etc so please 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 respond to the survey uh, we already have uh, like over 160 response so that's great but we need more great and we'll make sure to put a link to the survey in the page for, the, for this episode so that people can go and thank fill it out i filled mine out by the way so <laughs> thank you <laughs> okay so let's shift gears a little bit. I know I've had the pleasure of getting to know you a little bit as a person through social media, and I've seen that you have an amazing array of talents outside of cytopathology as well. Tell me a little bit about your hobbies. Well, this is, depends on the time in my life. So one of the hobbies is gardening. And it's not that I all my life I was gardening, etc. I grew up in one of those you know, apartment buildings, we never had any garden or anything. At some point, my mom got some little plot, you know, to do some gardening, and she tried to make me help, and I thought that was <laughs> the, the worst thing I could do. I hated with a passion. And now I'm crazy gardener, and I keep digging, and, and you know, I just dig, period. <laughs> well, this is the best, you know, stress reliever and everything. Uh, and not to mention, I love my tomatoes. That's yeah. the main reason to garden, to have tomatoes that taste like tomatoes. <laughs> oh, I so agree. I'm very sad. The deer ate all my tomatoes this year, so <laughs> I've got nothing. But I'm right there well, with you. My cucumbers are horrible this year. When I do something, I'm kind of like a hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> go big or go home. Yeah, so that's one thing. And the other thing, everything from seeds, everything organic. I do composting and all the, you know, lasagna beds and winter sowing. All my perennials are from seeds and that, that crazy stuff. Of course, um, you like to see things through from beginning to end, right? Yeah. So the other thing lately, it's painting, or if you can call this painting. That's also kind of a funny story. Everything started because of one of our faculty. I think everybody knows Kamran Mirza. A few yeah. years back, he was the, the one really instrumental to start in pathology, this annual event when we put art, pathology-related art. So, so he came to me and he said, you are a chair, you have to submit. <laughs> okay. So, so I had, you know, everybody has some microscopic pictures, so I submit those. Next year he came, you are the chair, you have to submit. So I told him, I said, I gave you everything. So I think I kind of dig something, really in some old, old, old files, few more, okay. Next year he came, you are the chair, you have to submit. <laughs> At that time I knew that I don't have anything. But I was thinking, okay, well, I can paint. I think years and years ago, I did paint one picture. So let me dig it. I found on the attic some canvas. I found some, some old paints, some acrylics. I'm going to paint some cells. <laughs> and they didn't come out very good <laughs> at all. <laughs> so he was after me. You have to, I said, I tried, but it's horrible. No, I'm sure it's going to be great. No, no. I am not giving you that. <laughs> and one weekend I start thinking, oh my God, you know, he's, I'm not going to get rid of him. 
<laughs> I have to do something. <laughs> so I, where I gonna go? Google. So I Google sales painting. Ah. And that's how I came across acrylic pouring, where you are producing cells. So that's how everything really started. And so I did couple and they were like, wow, magic happens in front of me and in front of my eyes. So I start doing this acrylic pouring. It's still a challenge. It's really hit or miss all the time, but there's some cool stuff. And, and after that, before Christmas, every single year, my husband is keeps telling me, what do you want for Christmas? What? I hate this. What you <laughs> I hate this. So, um, so that time I said, I know what I want for Christmas. Okay, what? I want an art class. So I found a place and I joined the art class. And so I started taking those art classes and it was kind of like hit on this also. And so about a year ago or something, I always was doing acrylic because I thought that was much easier. No acrylic class was available because the only time I would be available for me at seven in, in the evening. Yeah. So the only thing was oil. So I said, okay, let me try oil. And I found this great teacher and everything. And it was kind of cool. It was just really painting along. But of course, after the COVID started and he tried to do on Zoom, but it was a little bit. So that, that's how I kind of story on painting. It's, it's cool. It's fun. So now I have my basement, my happy place where I go and play. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that you and I share is that crafting and creating things for me too is how I manage stress. And I think that during the pandemic, the other things that I like to do to manage stress, which is travel and go out to eat at restaurants <laughs> we can't do, but I can still sit at home and, you know, knit and crochet and do those kinds of things. And so I think that it's, it's, it's good to have those creative outlets. Do you knit as well? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Come on. I'm, not now. I used to, you know, again, I'm from Poland. That was a survival. You want to yeah. wear, have something cool? <laughs> yeah. You either knit yourself or you sew. Yeah. I used to sew all my clothes back in high school, etc. One of the things that I find really valuable about seeing you share the things that you create is that for folks who are still relatively junior, it's really valuable to have role models who show that you can be a full human and that you can have interests outside of medicine and interests outside of work and still be really, really successful in being an excellent physician and leader and chair. So I, I really, I think I've really appreciated seeing your creativity because I think for our future generations, it's good for them to have that kind of role model. Uh, well, first of all, thank you. And, you know, of course, being a professional woman, it's not easy. And uh, when I was talking about team, it's really, it's the family, it's a team, it's your partner, your spouse. It's so important to have this support that you can count on. And, and again, I was very blessed that I could, you know, I could do it. I knew that my children gonna be taken care of even if I'm late at work or on weekend or I'm traveling but you know the same thing there is a 
there is life after work. It has to be a life yeah. after work. And I forgot, you know, you asked me about hobbies. Uh, I love to fish. Oh. And the reason is because, again, you know, I have two sons and my husband all his life, he loved to fish. And in the beginning, you know, when they were big enough, he would take them on the fishing trips. And I felt like, how about me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I started going on the fishing trip. And now, as they all say, that I'm almost the best out of all of them. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, like, not that I would consider years ago that would be my favorite vacation, but you have to adjust, you have to kind of compromise and making sure that everyone is kind of happy and through the compromise you never know what you're going to find, what's going to make you happy. That's, I think, you know, that's again, that's important. And it's, and it's again very, very important for us women to really truly support each other and help each other and everything. And uh, if I can be a role model, that's that's really great. And I, there are a couple moments in my life which hopefully no women will ever experience ever. One when I was interviewing at some place, when it came to discussing the salary, the chair straight in my face told me, I'm going to offer you so-and-so. And, and he said, since you are not the main breadwinner, that's why I'm offering. <sighs> and I'm talking about, granted, that was last century, when I really think about this. <laughs> and you know what? So I look at his face and I said, well, I am the main breadwinner for my family, and therefore this is not acceptable. Thank you very much. And I left. And the other moment was when my boss at that time, who was a woman, told me straight in my face that you cannot have both family and career. You have to choose. Wow. And I looked at her. I said, I'm not going to choose because I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to have both family and career. <laughs> So, you know, this is unfortunate things and I'm sure it's still happening and our job is really to make sure that this will never, never, ever happen again to anyone. Wow. But at the same time, you know, as I said, it's very important to have the support system, to have somebody who understands what you're going through and partnership and everything. Yeah. And I think that you've obviously demonstrated that you can have both and I think that having leaders with that foresight to not have this very narrow vision of you can only be a physician, you can't be anything else, you can't be a human, that's not realistic and that's not what is going to allow people to have long, fulfilling, productive careers. And burnout is such a problem in medicine and we have to recognize that we're humans you know obviously we love our work we're passionate about our work which is why you know we give up our nights and weekends to write books and manuscripts and things like that but it's not to the exclusion of everything else in your life right so i mean this the moment you start saying that you exactly that you can not be only a physician it's just occurred right away i connected with this maybe this is the reason for us as a profession to to burn out these days 
because for all those years we were being told you have to this is your priority in life this is your priority in life etc and and suddenly you know the, the whole profession is changing how we practice who is leading us and you know it's extremely stressful for each and every specialty so if this is the only thing in our life there is no other place to no no basements to <laughs> to relax <laughs> or yeah. no gardens to dig right. no no uh, you know avenues to relieve that stress so i think that may be also the reason why we as a whole profession are going through such a hard time you need something to fill your cup so you know you have to you have to get your energy and enthusiasm from somewhere as much energy and enthusiasm as we have for work leave it a little bit in your cup you are okay <laughs> <laughs> so within pathology there's been some other efforts that you've had to reach out directly to patients tell me more about that sure you know as a matter of fact in the beginning of our discussion you mentioned we met through that engaged leadership academy through through CAP and at that time i learned about CTS and tree which is events which are organized uh, and sponsored by college of american pathology foundation to provide free testing for cervical cancer and breast cancer for women who are otherwise underserved population and i thought that was the most amazing thing which we as a pathologist can do and at the same time how important is to for us pathologists to become a leader within our institutions and to really stop hiding behind the microscope and my main goal in life i always keep saying to get us out of the basement <laughs> and on each and every level physically we are getting yeah. out of the basement but overall be much more visible within the institution altogether and i thought that organizing that CTS and treat would be a greatest opportunity that was something which truly i don't want to use the big words changed my life but really truly became such a vehicle to get us out of the basement we became as a pathology department we became truly visible and recognized within our institution that we are capable to provide direct patient care and i'm talking about truly direct patient care this is one of the greatest thing truly what has happened uh, to me personally to our team and to Loyola we have done six of those events wow we unfortunately this year we have to cancel for obvious reason we'll see right. what's going to happen next year seeing the reaction of patients when you give them the diagnosis and i think we as a profession as a pathologist unfortunately don't have this experience and that gives the really true opportunity to see the patient you are truly affecting their lives at this very moment at the same time you know when you are have to give not so good diagnosis it's also very important how to handle and everything and so as i said the best thing what pathology as a profession could do it's really again get out of those basements stop hiding behind the microscopes we are physicians at times we have to even you know keep reminding our colleagues that you know 
I have done this quite a few times that I had took my ID and I said, look at my ID. What is behind my name? MD, the same what is yours. I'm also a medical doctor. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that's so important. And I thank you for being here. And I thank you for all the work that you've done to make us more visible, more effective, be able to communicate with each other more, and then also showing that you can be an amazing pathologist and leader and champion and also make amazing art and grow wonderful tomatoes. That element of the whole pathologist visible um, for me and for um, other people thinking about going into our specialty. So thank you so much, Dr. Rocha. Thank you, Sarah, for the opportunity. And I always keep saying, if I can do it, anyone can do it. (laughs) Uh, I'd like to say thank you again to Dr. Wojcik for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear more from Dr. Wojcik. You can follow her on Twitter at Eva underscore W-O-J-C-I-K. And don't forget to fill out the parent survey. We'll put the link in the episode description. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. for the free PathPod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. And be sure to subscribe to PathPod wherever you download your podcasts. PathPod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to PathPod.